118, back in the Psalms tonight, Psalm 118, and we've been saying since we've been in Psalm 113 that we were in a collection of Psalms that were called the Hallel Psalms, or that is the Praise the Lord, Hallelujah Psalms. Psalm 118 is the last one in that collection, so Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Um, Psalm 118 is um, is a unique psalm in a couple of ways. First, it's the uh, it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. That is, it's quoted more times than any other psalm. It's quoted 13 times in the New Testament. Um, it's one of the um, uh, one of the rare things that's quoted in all four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, quote from Psalm 118. Uh, Peter quotes from it in Acts um, and in his his letter, uh, and a couple of more references there. So that that helps us as we're thinking through Psalm 118 and what Psalm 118 is really pushing us forward to anticipate. Um, and then I'll just say that Psalm 118, you you already know this if uh, um, you've paid attention to the way I kind of like to structure these things. As I take a psalm, I like to try to find the, the natural divisions, figure out what the parts are, and and take it that way. And Psalm 118 is not very easy in in doing that. So um, the the theme is 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 apparent, uh, and we are going to look at it in four different chunks. But it is a psalm you kind of have to wrestle with to be able to nail down the structure. So it's a it's a longer psalm. It's um, almost 30 verses. And so what I'm going to do tonight is we're going to read each chunk as we go. Read each chunk as as we go. So starting in verse 1, we begin with a call to thanksgiving. A call to thanksgiving, verses 1 through 4. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that His mercy endureth forever. Now, while Psalm 118 may be a a challenge to find the natural breaks in the structure, it's not very hard to figure out what this psalm is about, is it? I mean, if we can make it through the first four verses and scratch our head wondering what is the theme of this psalm, we got some bigger problems going on. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He's good and His mercy, His hesed, His covenant love endures forever. Let Israel now say, His covenant love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His covenant love endures forever. Let all them who fear the Lord say, His covenant love endures forever. Okay, it's we're here at, again, the end of these psalms that are focused on praising God, these hallelujah psalms that are giving thanks to the Lord and Psalm 118 that really caps it off is a psalm that's going to focus on the enduring covenant love of God. 
Now, it is, uh, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but it did make me think of uh, Psalm 23.6 where we ended on, on Sunday, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, pursue me, hunt me down all the days of my life. Um, you'll notice how Psalm 118 opens up. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because He's good and because His mercy, that covenant love, is enduring forever. We have the same message really in Psalm 118.1 as we do in Psalm uh, 23.6. And that is this favor, the benefits of the Lord, the kindness of the Lord, and then the mercies and loyalty and love that comes with being part of that covenant endures forever. Secondly, as we think about this call to thanksgiving, it's a call to thanksgiving based on who God is and what we've been brought into as it relates to this covenant of grace, this covenant of um, uh, mercy that the Lord has made with His people. Uh, one of the other things, and we've said it a few times as we've been in this uh, collection of psalms, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, but um, it's just a, just a reminder of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, what we're going to find in Psalm 118 is while it is a celebration of God's enduring love, it is a um, psalm that is calling us to give thanks. It's also a psalm about distress. It's a psalm about afflictions. It's a psalm about problems. It's not... Um, we're not just looking at, which some of these other psalms have, but we're not just looking at these various aspects of God's character. We're looking at a couple of overarching aspects of what it means to be brought into a covenant relationship with God and how that makes all the difference in the world as we find ourselves in distresses, as we find ourselves in difficulties and afflictions and so forth and so on. And so for those who know what it means to be partakers of this covenant, it's just another reminder that part of God's will for our life is that we would be a thankful people who are actively and intentionally giving thanks to God through Christ. That's really the... Uh, I mean, I guess you could, there, there are more, but that's really just the consistent chopping block that we find in 113 through 118. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to God for who He is, what He's done, how His plan has unfolded, uh, and, and, and His consistent covenant loyalty that endures forever. So, it's a call to thanksgiving. We said, uh, when we first started our series through the Psalms, that the Psalms are not just about imparting information. The Psalms are really an invitation to come and participate with the writer. God has been loyal to Him. And God has been loyal to you too, if you know Him, if you've been brought to know Him and you're looking to Him through faith in Christ. And so the most natural thing 
for the Christian ought to be thanksgiving. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to wrestle to get there. And that doesn't mean that we don't have to be intentional and disciplined and fight to get there. But it does mean this. There is never a moment in your life after you've come to know the Lord that you don't have something to give, thank, to give thanks for. There's never a second in your life when you're not being pursued by His goodness and mercy and sustained by His goodness and mercy. And so the call to thanksgiving, because it's appropriate, the call to thanksgiving for God's people. Second, after this call to thanksgiving, we get a, a, a personal testimony. Okay, a personal testimony, verses 5 through 18. He says, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man, uh, what can man, I will not fear what can man do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with him that helped me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. So we have a personal testimony here. It's a little bit of a lengthy testimony. And it's really, I think we can split it up into a couple of different um, couple of different sections here. Number one, we have this condensed testimony in verse 5. It's really a general testimony um, that could fit a lot of different details. So in a, in, there's a real sense in which you and I can um, identify with uh, verse 5 and say, yes, this has been my testimony as well. This is what he says. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And he set me in a large place. Now here we have this contrast again, this play on words where David says, I called on the Lord in distress. The word distress there is a word that could be translated, I called on the Lord when I was in a tight place. I was in a narrow place. I was, I was in a place to where my world had just shrunk down to this trial, this difficulty, this pressure that was weighing on me. I called out to the Lord when I found myself there. And here's what happened. The Lord answered me and He set me in a large place. He took me out of the confinement that I found myself in and He opened up. Whether that is 
we're thinking about it metaphorically, which this is a word picture here. So all of a sudden, he 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 blessed me to uh, my perceptions to become broader than just my little circumstance that I was consumed with. Or maybe he set me in a large place so that I was able to see that God's mercies and God's goodness are far bigger than the pressures of the circumstance that I find myself in uh, currently. Uh, however we want to take this, and again, I think it's, it's written poetically and it's written as a word picture for a reason. One of the ways that God blesses His people is not necessarily by removing them immediately from trials, but by placing us in a larger place, showing us where He is in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of the trials, allowing us to know that what we mentioned on um, uh, Sunday, that we're walking through these things and we're not being dropped off. The Lord has a purpose here. He's surrounded me with His resources. And so, the Lord took me from this small, tight, suffocating place and He set me in a large place. Okay, This is the testimony that's condensed. And then I think that in verses 6-9, through nine, we can see some, some lessons that that were learned in the furnace, if we want to call it that. Lessons that are learned in the trial. Okay, so this is, again, a byproduct of being in this tight place, calling out to the Lord, and then being set in this larger place. Starting in verse 6, he says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Now that's a, that's a strange way to word this, at least in our vernacular. And essentially what this is in verse 7 is he's just saying, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. He is the one who's helping me. Now he uses other people in that. But it's the Lord who's the, the one supplying the help through all these different avenues. So verse 6, the Lord is on my side. Verse 7, the Lord is my helper. And then verses 8 and 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And essentially this, you know, if we were to condense this as far as the principle, it goes this way. The Lord is trustworthy. So the Lord is on my side, not after I'm removed from the difficulty, but in the midst of the difficulty. The Lord is on my side. The Lord is my helper. And the Lord is trustworthy. Now, these are, these are all very basic realities about God and His covenant loyalty. But these are all also realities that we grow into. Okay? We taste and see that the Lord is good. There's, there's, it's a, I don't know if multidimensional is not really the right word for this, but there are different depths to these realities that we move into through life 
And many of these things are lessons, realities that we only learn as we walk through the furnace of distress, trial, and affliction. So we could say the Lord is on my side, but the psalmist here is saying that in the sense of since he's on my side, I will not fear what man can do to me. Okay, It's one thing to say, yes, God is for me. It's another thing to say, I am not afraid of what my enemy might do because I know that I know that I know God is on my side. Okay? Those, those are the, the, the contents the same, but those are two different realities, two different depths. He's my helper. And then it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So lessons learned in the furnace. The Lord is on my side. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is trustworthy. Now let's make an application point here before we move to the expanded testimony where we get more of the details. Every trial, every affliction, and every season of distress that the Christian endures is always an opportunity to draw closer to the Lord. Okay? Every time. There's not a wasted trial that the Christian goes through. We don't know all the purposes and we don't know every single thing that God is doing. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of them. Many of those things are hidden from us. But one of the things that we do know, and we see the experiential side of that in the Psalms, we can see the theological side of that in places like Romans 5 and, um, and others, but every point of distress is an opportunity to make God our refuge, to draw close to Him, to seek His help to trust Him and grow in trusting Him. It's uh, really trials are what take these kinds of realities and move them from being theoretical to being real, functional, practical in our lives. What's the use of having a God you can trust if everything goes the way you were wanting it to go to begin with? What's the use of having a God who is your helper if you never need help? What good is it that the Lord is on your side if you never need anybody on your side? You're self-sufficient. Okay? All these things are just abstractions until we get to the place to where we need them. And that's those times of distress. That's the times of difficulty and affliction. And there's a wide scale on there. Okay? It can be on the what we think of as the smaller everyday stresses of life, and it could be the bigger life-turning um, or life-dominating trials that we go through. So, David says, or this is not David, uh, we don't know who it is, but he says, I called out in distress, the Lord answered, He set me in a large place, I learned these things about the Lord, or at least my confidence was strengthened in these realities. Then we get to this expanded testimony, verses 10 through 18. 
And, and it's essentially this. In verses 10 through 13, my enemies surrounded me, but the Lord helped me. Now, that's not the way he words it, but that's the pattern. My enemies surrounded me, but the Lord helped me. Look in verse 10. All nations come past me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They come past me about, yea, they come past me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They come past me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. What's the point here? Well, David's trust, I keep saying David, the psalmist's trust is in the Lord. He's trusting that God is by his side. He's trusting that God is his helper. He's trusting that he can trust the Lord. What does that produce in him? Strength and fight. Okay? He's not just laying down. If you are convinced that the Lord is on your side, that the Lord is your helper, then in the midst of trials, in the midst of distress, in the midst of difficulties, you fight. That's what it means to struggle. Struggle is not passive. Enduring is not passive. As we walk through the difficulties of life, we do... Um, we do acknowledge that the Lord is with us and the Lord is by our side. But that doesn't make us passive. It stirs us on to endure in the difficulties of life. Whether we're talking about spiritual battles, whether we're talking about fighting discouragement and doubt, whether we're talking about fighting sin, whatever that means, David says, I was surrounded by my enemy, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You know what's true about the Christian? The end of every single Christian story is never doubt. It's never discouragement. And it's never a life dominated by sin. It always turns out well for the Christian. And that ought to motivate fight in this life. So, my enemies surrounded me, but the Lord helped me. Secondly, in verses 14 through 18, the end of that is, I will declare the works of the Lord. David says, there I go again, the enemy surrounded me, <laughs> I will destroy them. But you notice who he gives the credit to. I'm going to declare the works of the Lord. I could not have done this by myself. This is not anything that, that was in my own strength and in my own sufficiency. Verse 14, The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation in the tabernacles of the righteous, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but He has not given me over unto death. So it's this personal testimony. It's this testimony that, that talks about this 
distresses and the, and the distresses of life. It's also the testimony that talks about the faithfulness of God. And so we have both struggle and deliverance. And it's a, it's a testimony that's focusing on what God has done for me in my times of weakness, distress, and trial. So it's a call to thanksgiving for God's enduring mercy, His enduring covenant loyalty. Then it's a personal testimony, one that in general anyway, we could all find ourselves in. And then we find this personal praise. Okay, a personal praise, verses 19 through 28. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. So this whole section, 20, I'm sorry, 19 through 28, is this uh, large personal praise. So 19 through 24, he's praising God for his marvelous works. Um, the, the, the place I really want to focus in on, and this is the place that you're going to be familiar with, is verse uh, 22, because before that, he's just saying, um, open these gates of righteousness, I will enter in, I will praise, um, I will praise you because you've heard me, you've become my salvation. And then we get to verse 22. This is one of those passages that's uh, quoted again and again in the New Testament. The stone that the builders refused has become the head cornerstone. And that's not exactly how it's worded there in the uh, in the KJV, but it's the the stone in the in the New Testament. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You you recognize that. Um, so let's figure out what is he talking about in the psalm, and then see how it's used in the New Testament. So Psalm one eighteen, um, the whole word picture is the same. That is, the builders found this stone. They thought it was worthless and threw it out, and yet the Lord used that stone to be the chief or the best, the cornerstone, that which every other stone would be referenced, or it would be a reference point for every other stone that was put in the building. So what men thought was worthless, the Lord used and revealed to be the most important. Okay? Um, so in Psalm 118, this could either be referring to one of two things. Number one, it could be referring to the nation of Israel. Okay, A lot of uh, commentators think that maybe Psalm 118 happens after the exile and as they're returning home. 
And so in that case, um, and, and, and then there's, there's, uh, uh, war going on. There's, there are, there are enemies surrounding and, and the Lord giving victory. And so in that case, maybe it's, uh, this nation of Israel that seemed so insignificant, so weak, so, um, uh, worthless. Uh, the Lord used, and as a matter of fact, as as far as His economy and ours goes, it ended up being the most important nation at the time because it was that nation that would that Christ would come through. Or maybe it's talking about the king. Maybe the king was the stone that the builders rejected. Okay, the 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 one that seemed to be worthless and weak. This is why maybe they were he was surrounded by the enemies, but then it turned out because of the Lord being his helper, the Lord being on his side, the Lord blessing him, that the stone that looked so worthless ended up being the most important stone as he led his people into battle and they won. Now, whatever it means there, we can see other examples of this as we make it to the... Um, really the true fulfillment of this phrase. So we can see this same sort of um, principle happening in characters like the life of uh, Joseph as it related to his brothers. He was rejected by his brothers, right? But then he became out of all of the brothers, he became the most important one out of them all. He became the one that God would use to deliver a nation, or we see it in the way that Israel rejected Moses. Only for later on, Moses to be used as one who would deliver them. So he seemed um, maybe worthless at the time, but then the Lord would bring him back 40 years later and he would be the most important. This is really highlighted whenever we think about David. You remember... David's father went to get his sons to see who would be the next king. And David was so small, worthless as far as this job that his dad didn't even bring him in the first time. But then he ended up being the chiefest. He ended up being the one that the Lord would use to make the most important out of them all. So you see this, this, this dynamic in the Old Testament and, and you also see that in the life of Joseph, Moses, and David, that it was never all, it was never because of them as individuals that they became these prominent figures. It was because the Lord was their helper. It was because the Lord was on their side. And it was because the Lord was doing his work through them. Now, when we get to Mark chapter 12, or you could find this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that Jesus uses this phrase, He lifts this phrase to refer to Himself. So this is after um, he, he rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey. You'll remember the people put their garments on the ground. Uh, they put the palm leaves on the ground. And uh, maybe you also remember uh, what they said whenever he was coming through. Uh, and, it, and it was, um, let me see, I'm getting ahead of myself here. 
Blessed, it's verse 26, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This is what the people said as Jesus rode in on the donkey. They're quoting Psalm 118 because they're uh, seeing that Jesus in his life is fulfilling what's happening here. You also remember Jesus gives this parable of the vineyard. And these, these workers come in and the, uh, I'm sorry, these, these overseers come in and the workers in the vineyard get rid of them and they get rid of them and they get rid of them. And Jesus says, well, then when he sends his son, what do you think they'll do? And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, uh, you know, they're there and he says, they'll kill him. And Jesus says, yeah, that's exactly what you're doing with me. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus says, that's me. I'm here. I'm, I'm among you. And as far as the elite are concerned, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm not very important at all. But God's kingdom is going to be built on this stone. I'm the most important stone in this nation right now. I'm the most important stone, the most important figure in this world right now. And so you can see Jesus referring to himself there, Matthew 21, 9, Matthew 23, 39. But then you can also in 1 Peter chapter 2, 6 through 8, Peter lifts this reference and, and he's still talking about Christ being the chief cornerstone, but now he's talking about Christ being the most important Part, the most important foundational piece that the church is built on. Okay? This is lifted from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The one who will come and be the most, um, uh, the, the highest expression of God's covenant loyalty to his people. The one who would come and be the one who would build his church, the spiritual Israel that the religious leaders just couldn't fathom. So we have this personal praise that's pointing toward the one who would come in the name of the Lord, that is Jesus Christ. Matthew 23, 39, Jesus actually uses this phrase in referring to his second coming. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so um, this extends beyond the first coming on to the second. So then it wraps up, the psalm wraps up in verse 29, right where it started. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Give thanks to the Lord because He's faithful, because He's good, because He's loyal, because He's a friend in time of distress, because He's the salvation of His people, because He's done for us what we could never do for ourselves, because He has in Christ delivered us from the greatest enemy that we ever had. Because He has in Christ made us a living stone who is built on top of that cornerstone. And praise the Lord because God inhabits 
the praises of His people. And we are, according to Ephesians chapter 2, being built up a spiritual house or a spiritual habitation for God through Christ. So what is our function here? Well, we end where we began. Praise Him. Give thanks to Him because He's loyal, He's faithful, and He's worthy of praise. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we do praise You tonight. We praise You that You have shown Yourself to be um, so faithful in our lives. Uh, we praise You for Your character. We praise You for the help that we've received in our own times of distress. We praise You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, the most important um, person who has ever lived and the most important uh, reality in the life of any Christian that we are identified with Christ, that we are built upon uh, what He has done for us and uh, we can take heart, we can uh, remind ourselves of the Gospel and what these realities mean for us in any season. So Father, we thank You and we praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.